Hey, Josh Felber here with Making Bank. In your business, there's always selling, whether you want to like it or not. We have sales all around us. How can you do a better job? How can you communicate and connect with your prospects or your potential clients better than you are today? Today's guest will give you tons of amazing insight on how you can do it, tons of free content to help you do that, as well as a process and system to help you sell better, to help you connect better with your clients uh, and potential clients and improve your overall sales conversions and numbers and everything like that, whether you're face-to-face, over the phone, or uh, direct-to-consumer. I got to check out today's episode of Making Bank. And guys, I really appreciate your time and attention watching the show. Make sure you like this, love it, share it, push it out there, get it all over the internet, and help me out. Uh, I appreciate you. I'll continue to pump out tons of free content for you, as well as leave a comment below. The guests love it. They can come answer and help you. So again, thank you for watching Making Bank. Thank you for your time today. You are are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Felber, where we uncover the mindset and the success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business today. Super excited for today's guest. Brian Will is the industry-leading expert in sales and management consulting. His best-selling book, The Dropout Multimillionaire, has taken literally the world by storm, earning him acclaims from the Wall Street Journal and USA Today. Now get ready to brace yourself because he's got his latest release, No, The Psychology of Sales and Negotiations, and... 40 Lessons in Negotiations from a Street Smart Negotiator. And it's going to revolutionize the business landscape. Super excited to welcome Brian Will to Making Bank. Josh, thanks for having me, man. I can't believe I get to be on Making Bank today. That's friggin' awesome. Well, we're ready to make some bank, man, with your sales and marketing and <laughs> psychology and do negotiating it. skills. <laughs> By the way, that the book, The Dropout Multimillionaire, hit number five on Wall Street. No, hit number three two weeks ago. Nice. So it, it did better than That's the last awesome. one. Yeah, thanks. Super cool. Actually, it was like it's been number one seller in multiple categories for a month now on Amazon. Hit number 22 overall of like millions of books. So it did really well. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's a great name too. So (laughs) it fits fits mine. (laughs) Well, so give us a little bit of background. Um, When did you get started as an entrepreneur? Did it happen when you were a kid? Later in life? You know, give us a little bit of insight. You know, I'm the, I call myself the most unconventionally educated guy out here, right? So I'm the kid who failed out of high school at 16, managed to get back in and graduate with a 1.2 GPA. That's about a D plus for anybody who's trying to do the math. Joined the military because I got kicked out of the house, had no place to go, got off active duty, started my first business because I was unemployable and kept getting fired. So I figured, hell, I might as well work for myself. (laughs) Started a landscaping company, built it into seven franchises, did really well until I didn't. That company collapsed, taught me a lot of great lessons in business. Mm. Went on to build an insurance company that we sold to a venture capital firm, another insurance company we sold to another venture capital firm, an online marketing company. We did lead gen on, on online. That one we sold to a private equity firm. Started doing consulting in sales and sales management and direct-to-consumer type stuff. Uh, started another company we sold to an Indian direct-to-consumer company. Wrote some books, got into politics, bought a restaurant chain. I own a bunch of real estate. Now I run a... Uh, Coaching and advisory, executive coaching and advisory uh, service, and uh, a mastermind. And so that's what I do today. 
that was my one minute spiel. Awesome. Well, so out of all that, what was your favorite business or entrepreneurship business that you owned? Well, there's two ways to look at that. One is I made the most money in internet marketing, and that is fun. If you ever made a lot of money, you know, selling a company, you're like, wow, that's cool. Oh, yeah. You ever do those days when you're like waiting on the deposit to come through and you call the bank like every five minutes? Is it there? No, not yet. Is it there? No, not yet. Is it there? It's here. (laughs) 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 Woohoo! But what I enjoy the most is teaching and coaching and, and working with entrepreneurs and getting them on track and helping them see what they can't see. And, you know, that, that, that gets me going. That's what I like to do. Super cool. As you were owning your different companies over the years, what was kind of the common challenge that you found along that journey? Oh, gosh, me. Okay. Well, tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I, I preach, preach, preach. And one of my five keys to success is if you are new in business or your business isn't growing, there's a reason and it's you. Okay. You're the problem and you need to get a good coach, a good mentor, somebody that can help you see what you don't see, avoid the mistakes you're going to make. And for the first 20 years in business, I thought I had to have all the answers. I thought I needed to do everything. I needed to give all the direction. I needed to tell everybody how to do their job. And if they didn't do it fast enough, I needed to do it for them. And that is a recipe for success or for failure. I'm sorry. It's a recipe for failure. Yeah. Because I clearly was not the right guy. And then I met my first mentor. His name was Steve. And Steve was like, dude, relax. We got this. And there's a whole story behind that. But one day we came to blows on something and I made the decision to listen to Steve instead of me because he's way more successful and that changed my whole life. So financially, business-wise, everything changed after I decided to work with, uh, you know, a coach, a mentor, somebody that could help me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because you see um, whether it's the NFL or the NBA or any athlete that's at some high level, they're working with, you know, some kind of um, coach or some uh, yeah per- performance trainer or whatever that might be. But in business, we don't seem to do that. Why is well, that? Here's what's funny about that, Josh. And I use this example, right? Tom Brady has a, pitch, a throwing coach. Tagger Woods had a swing coach. They all have a coach. Those, those aren't ex- Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. They're just coaches who know what they're doing. But here's what most young entrepreneurs don't know. Pretty much all the top 50 CEOs in the country all have executive coaches. I talk about Tim Cook all the time. I was on Dave Meltzer's show. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. who Dave oh, Meltzer yeah. is. He's an, he's an executive coach to three of the Fortune 50 companies, right? Yep. And I was telling him my story that I normally tell about how Tim uh, uh, Apple, Tim Cook. Cook, there you go. Tim Cook has a board of directors that helps him make decisions. And if Tim Cook running the biggest company in the country, and if he needs people to help him make decisions, what makes you think as a young entrepreneur you don't? And David goes, you know he has an executive coach too. I said, really? He goes, yeah, I know him. So not only does he have a board of directors, but he has an executive coach. And now I'm back to this entrepreneur going, dude, you need somebody to help you. Everybody who's anybody does it. So obviously it's the right thing to do. You need to figure it out and do it. Mm. Yeah, that's important. Why do you think the resistance or lack of, I guess, entrepreneurs that don't have coaches? Easy, easy. Because we are red personality, A plus driver, egomaniacs. That's why. 
That and would... I, and I, I, I hate to say this, but most young entrepreneurs, like I said before, they think they need to have all the answers. They think they know exactly what they're doing. They think it's their decisions that are going to make or break them. And they're not willing to accept the, accept the advice of somebody who's been there and done that. And they got to check that ego, man. You got to check that damn ego so that somebody can come in and help you, right? It's like if, if I just sold my company in XYZ business for $50 million and you are building yours, wouldn't you want my advice? But yet you won't take it. Yeah. That would be you need you need to take you need to find somebody 10 to 12 steps ahead of you, hire them, take their advice, let them show you how to skip all the mistakes they made so that you can accelerate. It's ego. Ego, yeah. No, I mean I, th- I think it's important to know <clears throat> when I was a kid, when I first started my first company at 14, one of the books I read was, you know, Think and Grow Rich, Tony Robbins Awaken the yep. Giant, um, Unlimited Power. And from there then I kind of started to lay out everything out. And then over the years would have different coaches here and there but then finally i got i was like okay i got to get a real coach and ended up hiring one of the top coaches from tony robbins companies and things like that and i mean it, and it's a game changer it's, it's something that you you know you, you don't have all the answers for and like you said somebody that's been there before that's 10 times yeah. that further along than you is super important because it's going to help you find the right things or make the right decisions at that point in time when it's critical I had a discussion on another podcast and it was another coach and we were talking about people that don't listen to the coach they hire. And I'm like, do you find it frustrating when you're sitting there with your, with your client and you're saying, listen to me, I've been where you're at. I've made the decision you're about to make a decision on and I can see exactly what's going to happen. I'm telling you what's going to happen. And the client's like, well, I just don't see it. <laughs> uh, but that's why you hired me. Cause I can see it. I know this is going to happen. Listen to me. And sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't. Or what's worse is when they only do half and then blame you when it doesn't work. It's just humorous. No, that's that's so true. How can we help people that are resistant or like not unsure, I guess? <laughs> I, what, it, it, how do you walk people through that? Here's the deal. Are you growing as fast as you want to grow? Is your business where you want it to be? That's the, that's, that's the qualifier right there. As I tell people all the time, you are who you are and you need to understand that. And who you are got you where you are. And you need to understand that. But if you want to go someplace else, then you're going to have to change who you are. And you need to make a conscious decision, not an emotional one. And that conscious decision is, I recognize the fact that I can't get to the next level because it's not happening right now. And I need to bring somebody in who's going to do that. And this is where we have to use our intellect to overcome our emotion, right? Too many people, they let their emotion roll their interpersonal filter and just say, look, I recognize that I'm not growing as fast as I want. I recognize my business isn't where it needs to be. I'm going to bring somebody in and make a conscious mental decision that I'm going to listen to this person. And every time you doubt yourself, you got to go back and think about it. And the example I always use is when I wrote my book, right? I wrote this book right here. There it is. And we did the jacket design. And I I did the jacket design myself. It was my third book. And I'm like, this is a good design. And my publicist said, that design sucks. And I said, no, no, no. But you don't understand. I'm very successful. I have built companies. I have sold, I've made a lot of money. She goes, your book sucks. And at some point after arguing with her, I thought to myself, what am I doing? I've done two books. She's done like a hundred. What am I doing? My ego is overcome. My emotion is overcoming my intellect. And I said, you're right. I'm sorry. You tell me what to do because this is, it's your ball and bat. It's your game. And then she came up with a cover and it's awesome. And the book has done really well. But even, even people who teach this still have to learn how to overcome it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's super important. How do you recognize when you're in that situation 
and then be able to make sure you take that step mm -hmm. back because a lot of times we get so caught up <laughs> and you're yep. like, and, like you just said. <laughs> I already said it. Is your business growing as fast as you want it to grow? Is it where you want it to be? If the answer is yes, you're good. Okay. If the answer is no, then you say, okay, I admit it. I check my ego for one second, admit my business isn't where I need it to be. It's not growing as fast as I want it to grow or it's not working at all. If you're, if that's your qualifier, then that's your qualifier. So first ask yourself that question, then make the decision to bring somebody in. Gotcha. No, I guess I, um, the rephrase then it would be when you're working with your coach. Oh, then, you know, and, and like you, like, for example, you with the book, how did yep. you realize that you were battling her against it? Cause a lot of times we'll get so caught up in that, like, oh no, I'm right. Kind of a thing. Yeah, that's a tough one. And that, and I get back to the emotion and intellect thing and personal filter and processing information. And, and sometimes I would say maybe the qualifier here is if you are argumentative and listening to your coach, then maybe you need to step back and figure out why. Yeah, no, that's true. It's like a child arguing with you and you're like, honey, if you touch the stove, it's hot. I know daddy, but I'm going to touch the stove. It's hot, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay, here we go. You'll know, you'll find out quickly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So we have um, in our book, Know the Psychology of Sales and Negotiations, the 40 lessons. How did you kind of come up with those 40 lessons? You know, I've taught sales training for 20 years now, both in my business and through, you know, public and private Fortune 500 companies, mostly in the direct-to-consumer inbound, outbound call scenarios, and have just, you know, when you, what's that thing? I forget which book it is about doing something 10,000 times. I've done more than 10,000 sales presentations, and I'm telling you, I've learned the psychology of the way people think. And so I started building programs around that psychology. And it's all based on the premise of, you know, if you've ever been in a sales training, uh, and I see there's one I follow online right now, and he talks all about obje overcome objections, overcome objections, and he writes objections on the board, and let's learn how to overcome these objections. The problem with that is if you're overcoming objections at the end of the sales process, you've already lost it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You need to learn how to overcome objections before the client has them. And then you don't have to figure out how to overcome those objections at the end of the day. And every sales process, every product, no matter what it is, if you sold it for a period of time, you know your clients probably have five or six objections. They're the same ones every single time. If it's in car sales or solar sales or landscaping or whatever it is you sell, insurance, you get the same ex objections. If you build a properly worded script to, to work through overcoming those objections in the process. By the time you get to the close, they don't have those objections. And that's where I think a lot of sales training falls apart. They're trying to teach you objection, overcoming objections at the wrong part of the process. And that's what puts you at a disadvantage. So, but I have a whole training system we do around that. Um, you know, beginning with what I call the first objection, which people don't like salespeople. <laughs> that's true. I mean, that's, that's, that's true. I mean, that's what I, and actually it's kind of funny you brought up the whole objections because I remember when I was, 17, 18 year old and learning in sales and all that. It was like Tom, I think it was Tom Hopkins. And yeah. you, you learn the, the learn the objection handling and how to handle the objections through the whole process. And, and then yeah. hopefully answering them somewhere along the journey. So at the end, you don't have as many or any. So Right. Overcoming objections before they have them. That's what I do. I've got a training course coming up next month. And that's what it's all about. It's one day about overcoming them beforehand. And it's what do you sell, what's the product, what's the process, and then we'll build you a script around it so that you don't have to deal with that on the back end. No, that's great. In negotiations then, what are some of the best ways as 
you know, if, if I'm like, all right, you know, I'm negotiating with the, somebody and I want to make sure I, you know, I get what I want out of the deal. So what is that? Yep. How's that work? So out? I, I follow a couple, one of them I got off of Richard Branson's, one of his books, I think it was screw it, just do it. I love that title, by the way. And he said in his book, he said, if your first, if your first offer doesn't insult them, you offered too much. Mm. And there's a reason why he says that. And it's not to be a jerk. It's because if you're up against a good negotiator, no matter what you say, the first thing they're going to come back with you is no. Right. Nobody accepts your first offer. Would anybody disagree with that? If they do, it's like, oh my God, send this guy down to the car lot. He's buying retail. Right. (laughs) So if you're dealing with a negotiator, the first thing he's going to say is no, and it doesn't matter what you say. So your first offer should be so low, you can set the bar where you want it so that we can start negotiating inside of that. So that's the first one. And the second principle is once you've made an offer, the first person who talks loses, right? And and I use an example. I I bought a restaurant and the guy wanted $100,000. We went through the whole process, right? I'm finally sitting down at the table the last minute and he's like, are you ready to do the deal? And I said, yeah, but I can't offer you $100,000. And he said, well, what can you offer? And I said, zero. And he just sat there and stared at me and I didn't say anything else. And he, he was like, you know, he was thinking, what the hell? And the broker was sitting there and I saw his eyes getting bigger and I was just zero. I was setting my bar. Right. And finally, after like a minute, he goes, well, I can't take zero. And I, right then I knew I had him. Nice. And we ended up buying it for like $10,000, like 90% off. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> so your first offer, if it doesn't insult them, is too much. And once you make an offer, shut up and wait, no matter how long it takes. And what's funny is when you have another negotiator and you both sit there and stare at each other for five minutes and neither one of us is going to say anything. (laughs) (laughs) And finally you go, neither one of us is going to say anything. Are we? Nope. Okay. (laughs) Let's go get a drink. (laughs) (laughs) Then then it's on the step three, right? (laughs) Yes. And then it's like, all right, come back tomorrow. We'll try this again. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's pretty funny. I remember and actually one of my original first sales jobs before I uh, started my second company was um, sales for we were putting in electronic credit card terminals right when Mm -hmm. they first came out and I was working in sales and you went through their whole sales training and I remember sitting there in front of somebody and if I mean it probably felt like 10 minutes it was probably like 30 seconds until the owner finally said something but you're just like sitting there waiting 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 (laughs) waiting and then finally he's like well Oh, oh. you know, and then they just respond <laughs> yep. or whatever. <laughs> and then you got them. Yeah. See, these are so simple. It's funny. It's funny, Josh, because some of this stuff is, you know, if you've been in sales a long, long time, you go, well, that's obvious. You'd be surprised when people don't really understand what we think is obvious. And so, um, you know, teaching people some of the basic stuff is, is what we do. Right. In that, then, what would be something that would be not obvious? So you're, you're, you're working, you're trying to sell or, you know, negotiate something. And we, obviously we're seeing the obvious things, but what are some of those non-obvious things that we want to look for? So the, and I call that the first objection, right? The first objection is people don't like salespeople. And I would say, and, and it's not that they don't like you, right? You're probably a great guy. You, you teach Little League on the weekends. You have parties at your house. People come over. It's fun. But when you put your sales hat on, suddenly you are the enemy because people are afraid of salespeople. And what they're afraid of is they're afraid of being sold. Nobody wants to be sold. Nobody wants to buy something they didn't want or overpay. They don't want to be sold in that, that term that we all use, right? So they don't want to be sold, and they are afraid of the unknown. And the unknown is what's going to happen next. 
They don't know if you're going to use some cheesy slick sales line, if you're going to throw your salesperson voodoo magic on them to sell them something. So they're afraid of that unknown and they're afraid of being sold. And I always use the example of going to a car lot, right? We've all been to a car lot. And I call it Skippy the Lot Stalker. He's the salesperson. When Skippy the Lot Stalker is walking out to you, do you trust him? No. Do you think he's going to give you the best deal possible? Nope. Which means you don't like him, do you? Nope. Right? So yeah. we already know there's, we, I call this the defensive wall of mistrust between the client and the salesperson. We know immediately when you walk up or you call them or they call you that they've got their fists up in that defensive wall of mistrust and they're ready to fight you because they're afraid of you and they're afraid of what you're going to do. So you need to learn how to overcome that first objection before you ever start the sales process or you are starting at negative 10. And so we teach this process of how to overcome it, right? It's part of what we do in the very beginning of our sales training. And that's one a lot of people, they, they, they don't really know that one. Get the wall of mistrust down. What, uh, and so, yeah, you know, I mean, what would you do? Because sometimes you hear people, you know, they start talking about, ah, oh, you know, you hunting pictures on the wall. So they talk about hunting or fishing or whatever that might be to, you know. That's in to the process. Break down I'll wall give you down. How, so here's how I would, so pick a product, right? Let's say we're going to sell, I don't know, electronics, whatever or you've called me and you, you want to buy a spa or you want to buy solar panels. And I would say, Hey, Josh, I understand you're looking for solar panels. Is that right? Say, sure. sure. Yeah. Well, listen, here's what I need to do. Okay. What I need to do is I need to ask you some questions and I'm going to ask you those questions because I need to make a determination on whether my products are going to fit what you're looking for. And if I think they will, I'll go over a couple options with you. I'll give you some pricing and then I'm going to let you decide if that works for you. Is that fair enough? Sure. Yeah. Right. So what have I done? I've taken away the unknown. I've told you what I'm going to do. Ask you some questions. If my product fits, give you pricing. And I've also told you I'm not going to sell you. I'm going to let you decide. Mm, and then I yep. use that positive affirmation statement of, hey, is that fair enough? And when you say yes, okay, we might, you might not trust me just yet, but at least you know what's going to happen. As long as I don't violate what I said I was going to do with you, then I'm going to start to build some trust with you. And I'd say, okay, Josh, let me ask you a couple questions now. You're looking for solar panels. Why? And we always go into the why, yeah. the when, the why, the when, have you shopped before, where, why didn't you buy from them, what kind of pricing did they have, never cut your competition down. These are just a lot of things we, we build through our script. Yeah. Like they're, they're a great company. Why, why didn't you buy from them? And you'll find your, your client nine times out of 10 will tell you everything that's wrong with your competition, right? Which you're then using towards your close later. You know, why, when, who have you shopped with, what price, why didn't you buy? And in that process, we start talking about making a connection. Like, where are you from, Josh? I just, uh, Akron, Ohio. <laughs> okay, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. I grew up in a little farm town in Columbus called Canal Winchester. Oh, yeah. We had one stoplight. It didn't work, right? So yep. my ex-wife was from Cleveland. So we're starting, hey, we're both from Ohio, man. I served in the military. You know, I, I, there's, there's a, I always tell people, if you can make your client laugh, you will start to build likability and trust. And you do that just by making those connections. Like Akron hired, isn't that all like smoke chimneys and they have factories and stuff up there? Isn't that, isn't that Akron or am I thinking Toledo? Uh, probably Toledo, but they're, they have the, have the rubber, well, they used to have the rubber factory. So good. Okay. Year rubber factories. Yeah. You're in Firestone, I guess it would have been. <laughs> so like in the Simpsons, you have that big tire fire out in the middle of town. Is that right? Y yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, so there's some, these are the things we go through and we teach people how to build specific scripts for their products and. That's what we do for folks. Awesome. So say uh, somebody has like a direct-to-consumer business. Maybe they're not on the phone with a customer all the time. 
how can we start to build this in and do this? So when they're reading information about our product or they're maybe they're watching a video and we're not having the direct back and forth connection. So are you talking about somebody who's just going to buy strictly online? Yeah. So like, um, we, I would just say I'm on your website, you know, looking at your books or whatever it might be. And you, obviously you want me to buy your book. So, yeah. So I, I, I call this a step process. Okay. Right. And so again, back to the example I use in sales is when you walk onto the car lot, did, have you ever, you bought a car on a car lot before John? Yes. Okay. When you got there and you started talking to the salesperson, did he hand you the driver's manual before you went and took a test drive and ask you to read it? Yeah. No. Did he take you back to the finance department? He wanted to explain how the 32 page contract that's all one big long sheet works. Did he go over financing derivatives with you? I don't know financing yet. No, he didn't do any of that, right? What did he do? Hey man, what color? Leather, cloth? Let's take it for a test drive, right? Why? Because he wants you to fall in love with the product before he gets too deep into the details. Most salespeople and most sales processes try to hand you the owner's manual <laughs> in their video or their marketing and tell you everything there is to know before you ever fall in love with the product. I want you to fall in love with it somehow, then take you to the next step and the next step and the next step. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, that does, yeah. So you're moving them down a process. Um, Almost through a funnel of sales, but we start with get them to fall in love. Like, what do I want to buy? This is what it does. Boom, boom, boom. And it doesn't need to be 50 things, by the way. Boom, 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 boom. And they go, wow, that's really cool. I wonder if it does more. And then go to the next step and the next step and the next step. But don't, don't throw up on people five minutes into whether you're you know, talking to them on the phone or whether they're looking at your product online or whatever. Yeah, that's yeah. No, I think that's super important because a lot of times you do see the videos and they're just like, "Hey, blah blah blah," and it's like, "All right, cool, no thanks." <laughs> also, that and you, you know, you just nailed another one, and we talk about this in sales all the time. How many salespeople have you ever met that, when you start talking to them, they sound like a salesperson? Oh yeah, right. Yeah, their voice goes up an octave. Yep. They start talking really fast. They won't shut up. You know, they won't let you get a word in. As opposed to, let's just have a conversation, man. Definitely so. Uh, guys, I guess I hope you're listening to what Brian's talking about today. Think about for your business, whether you are face-to-face -face with people or over the phone or ha have your own online e-commerce website, there's different ways you can structure things to you know help and, and connect with the potential prospects and everything. Make sure you guys rewind, watch, listen to this again, start taking notes, listen to what Brian's saying. That's going to help you along your sales process or creating your sales script and how can you make what you're doing now better overall. Brian, what is part of our, like our sales script process? What's kind of that framework and how we should set that up and design that? Yeah, well, we built a four step, we call it the four boxes, which is okay. the, the, the um, introduction. Hi, my name is Brian. The fact finding, which is the most important thing you can do in any sales process. The, the close is in the fact finding, by the way, not the close. The presentation, which isn't about telling about your product. It's really about explaining what they've already bought. And the close is, Sounds like this is what you're looking for. You want to go ahead and get started, right? I mean, so we build those four boxes in there uh, as part of that process. Um, script, let me tell you something. Scripts, if you are a salesperson, keep you on track, not over-talking, and focused on what you're supposed to be saying and what you're supposed to be doing. Too many salespeople get lost in the weeds of talking too much. And from a sales trainer's perspective, a script allows you to control the sales process in your sales force without you being on the phone. That's why they are so, so important. And we tell our salespeople, until you can prove to me that you are a master closer, you're going to say exactly what I tell you, exactly the way I tell you to say it. 
you have no ability to go off script until you've proven that you rock. Then you can freelance a little bit. So scripts are super, super, super important. That's awesome. What, uh, I know we got a couple minutes left. What's something you were like, man, I want to really make sure I talk about this today or, or get out there before we wrap up to everybody. You know, the difference between you today and you five years from now are the books you're going to read, the people you're going to associate with, the training you're going to go through, the podcast you're going to listen to. That's the difference. There's no difference between me and you and Elon Musk other than we think different. There's no difference between you and the manager, you and the direct district, no difference between you and a master closer other than the way you think and process information. And if you want to get better than you are, books, association, podcasts, information, that's the most important thing you can do to level up. 100%. Yeah, definitely. Um, continuing to improve your, who you are and what you do and everything is, is for sure. Um, and where can people get more information on you? I think you mentioned Amazon is a great place to grab your book. Uh, where else? Yeah, I got a website. It's www.brianwillmedia.com. And my books are there, my podcasts, some of my training stuff, my mastermind, my coaching programs, www.brianwillmedia.com. You can hit me up on direct message there if you want to talk about anything. So that's how you get me. Awesome. Uh, Brian, thanks. You. Appreciate your time today. Uh, we got some great insights to hope people can improve their sales and understand business a little bit more. And uh, just uh, thanks for your time. Josh, this was awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I am Josh Felber. You are watching Making Bank Get Out and Be Extraordinary. Thank you for listening to Making Bank. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. And sharing is caring. Follow Josh Felber on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more. You can also listen to Making Bank on Amazon Alexa, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and watch on Apple TV, Success Thinkers Network, Amazon Fire, and YouTube.